The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. You're listening to Just Some Podcasts, and here's your hosts, Ben and Tom. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled, exciting episode of Just Some Podcasts for Advanced Practitioners. I'm Tom. And this is Ben. So, Benny, how's your week been? You know, not too bad. Last week was... uh... We got this stomach bug that hit this area. I don't know if you're seeing anything uh, like that in your area. But you know, on a Friday, whenever you start out with your patients on your schedule in single digits, and then by the end of the day, you're into the uh, late 20s, early 30s of number of patients that you're seeing, and the majority of them are for nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, you know it's going to be that kind of day. Yeah, Roger that. It's been hitting here, but honestly, I started seeing that roughly the beginning of the school year. Also, lots of fever and cough times one hour. I don't get it. But, you know, that's what we do. That's why we have a job. So Z-bag. we want to treat <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be a good steward of my antibiotics, Mr. Ben. So not right off the bat. But, you know, every once in a while you get the uh, elderly patient who just knows more about medicine than you. You do what you do. So that's that's my theory. Well, that does happen. Yeah. So I'm a little excited and big shout out to Dennis dental hygienist, everybody in your world. Uh, thank you guys. God bless you. Not for me. My little boy, who is in single digits of age, had his first big dentist appointment today. He was non-traumatized. He actually enjoyed the experience. His biggest complaint, that his face was numb. So he got he got uh, dental work, and uh, it was actually a really great experience. Like The staff there did amazing, so I can't say enough. So I know we don't talk about dentistry, maybe future episode, things to look for in people's mouths. I don't know, but it was a really good experience. So I don't know if anybody's had bad ones, but I, I can't say enough about the good experience I had today. Well, that's good. Now, I actually, as a child, had a horrible experience at a dentist office, so I'm glad that he did not have that experience. Yeah, I honestly didn't have a lot of issues well i've never had a lot of issues dentistry growing up but i had one and it wasn't very good it's too long a story to go for the little bit of banner we do at the beginning of the show but i'll tell you right now it ended with a lacerated tongue due to a broken piece of dental hardware so that was not fun but overall it was pretty good and tommy had a great day and i had a great day so it, it was all good um, i guess we should if we were good podcast hosts we'd explain what this episode was about, Ben. Do you think we should? I Well, I'm, I'm assuming they can read when they pick this episode, but just in case they didn't, we are celebrating Nurse Practitioners Week. What? Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty new phenomenon, so there's people out there that's been nurse practitioners a lot longer than I have that may not even remember that because, well, according to me and Ben, we're finding different sources, but... Nurse Practitioner Week was only started uh, 2013, 2014. Yeah, but I do think it's pretty awesome that they, you know, we had a week devoted to 
celebrating what nurse practitioners do and trying to continue to educate the public on that we do provide high quality compassionate care to our patients. I ooh, high pat or high quality and compassionate. Nobody told me that in school. Like I was not aware that was two of the things I was supposed to be doing. Now I know at least one of your preceptors and I know that's not true. <laughs> well, I'm sure I got lucky at least one day. Maybe I was sick that day. Maybe that's the problem. I was sick that day that they're talking about high quality and compassionate care. Well, that would explain it a whole lot about anyone who actually knows you. Yeah, that that would be so. Uh, before we get started, and we do Ben's favorite part of the episode, the social media shout out. I would like to say I know we have gotten a lot of positive responses so far, and I personally have been worried sometimes. My mouth gets a head of my brain sometimes, and some cuss words have been known to flow freely from me. Yeah, I think uh, I think Kyle was working hard to kind of edit some of that out in the beginning, and then um, I don't know if it was his alcoholism or. Or what? But he's let a lot of those fly recently. So, yeah, I well, you know, when him and Sam literally start every episode with a shot of whiskey and a shot of Pepto Bismol, I think I think we've accomplished what we set out to do for those two. But you know, a lot of the positive responses. Big shout out to Cassandra for you know being some uh, positive feedback and the uh, language, and uh, it makes us feel good to hear some positive feedback. So I'm thinking a shot of whiskey and a shot of Eftimismol should now be called the Just Some Podcast Shot. What do you think? I would like for us to work on that. I have a feeling it's been around a little longer than our episodes, but hey, we can shoot for the stars. Have you heard any feedback on uh, last week's episode? I know uh, you and I were really excited to get Andy on the show. and uh, I have, but most of it's been, I mean, I haven't really got any private messages, but overall, um, well, I guess I've got a few private messages on it, but primarily it has been a totally awesome experience and seeing what uh, people thought about his story. And, and honestly, like it was an honor and privilege for us to tell it, but primarily it was great to hear people talk about hearing Andy's story and the perspective of the patient versus what we planned on seeing. Yeah. And I'd even seen, cause you know, he had kind of promoted on his page also that, there was a patient that was a friend of his, apparently, that is going through a lot of this stuff and has credited Andy with helping him out a lot. And, you know, he currently has an LVAD and he's currently waiting for a transplant. And so he uh, expressed his appreciation for the episode as well, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, if if we helped anybody or we got any more information out there that gives the gift of life, then honestly, everything else we've done had, will be worth it. I mean, all the times I wonder geez, why am I putting up with Ben and all these people to put this podcast together with him? <laughs> I I just, I think back and I go, you know, and, and I'm joking, I love doing this podcast, especially with Ben, but to know that if anybody, not that they will, but if anybody does succeed or get that gift of life or give that gift of life based on anything that we were able to provide, then it would really... Uh, Warm me down to the cockles of my heart. After I got past the chains and the walls and the ice, yes, it might for you. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I think when I started all this, I said, before I did the shout-out, I think I said something about a social media shout-out, Ben. Well, Tom, since you said social media, 
let's let everybody know where they can find us. We can find be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on our website, www.justsomepodcast.com, or you can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Tom, how can they help the show out? They can help the show out by clicking on the Amazon affiliate link. Now, everybody shops on Amazon. We know it. You know it. I don't know what you're buying. Wink, wink. But, you know, that thing you want to come to your house and that nondescript packaging, that thing. (laughs) When you buy that or the batteries that go along with it, here's what you need to do. Go to our website. Click on the Amazon. Stop laughing, Ben. (laughs) Click on that Amazon affiliate link. All right? Help out the show, please. Uh, Again, we are supporting the show completely ourselves right now and any little bit of money helps. So we would love it if you would just do that. And it costs you nothing, nothing but three or four seconds that it takes you to click on the link. So if you're going to be shopping, especially with black Friday and cyber Monday coming up, please make sure to keep us in mind and click on that link. Nobody heard the first two, but this is the third try at this. The other way that you can help out the show is by sharing it with your (laughs) colleague. Or your classmates or your friends tell them, hey, I listen to just some podcasts for advanced practitioners. These guys are pretty funny and they do get some good information. Also, give us some ratings on Google Play, on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this right now. You know, it was just funny. I was thinking about this while you're doing the social media shout. Have you ever seen the movie Private Parts uh, by Howard Stern about Howard Stern? Who hasn't seen that movie? Well, uh I'm assuming plenty of people, but there's a particular part I'm going to talk about for just a second, and it just cracked me up. Robin Quivers always does the news, and there's a part of the show where NBC is trying to fire Howard Stern, so they fire Robin. So he has to do everything himself, and he is just totally screwing up all the other stuff everybody else does. And that just reminds me of, like, if someday you were like, hey, Tom, uh, can you do a social media shout-out? I'm going to be like, hey, uh, look for us on something I don't know. And that's pretty much going to be the entire extent of it. And it just kind of cracked me up for a second. Well, stay tuned for that, because we may have to do that to Tom. (laughs) That was not the thing I thought you were going to talk about. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, uh, speaker writing scene. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah, no, you know what? We can have an entire episode on that movie. I love that. You know, it's funny. I, my father included, I actually know several people that do not like Howard Stern. They do not care for him, you know, whatever they think he's whatever, but that movie, they're like, Oh no, but that movie's great. (laughs) So even, even people that don't like Howard Stern, like the Howard Stern movie. So shout out to him. I don't know if he'll ever hear this or Baba Booey or anybody will ever hear it, but you know, if you do love you guys, think you do a great, uh, great show. But speaking of awesome stories, I should say awesome. Oh, that sounds terrible. Uh, yeah. Kyle, work on that here in a minute. But uh, speaking of exciting, there you go. That's a better better word. Of uh, late breaking, news making, whatever type of story you want to call it. I think you know where I'm going with this, Ben. The anesthesiologist in Colorado. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go say allegedly because at this point, you know, it's innocent until proven guilty. And I don't think this has made a whole lot of national media, really. This has kind of just been in Denver, and it actually got shared in a group that uh, Tom and I are in. This uh, anesthesiologist has actually been charged with felony assault after he choked a nurse into into unconsciousness in the recovery room of a hospital. Yes, the anesthesiologist was making rounds and was going around and shutting off all the monitors that were making alarms. 
and no. the nurses asked him, yeah. No, he, he did say that the reason that he was doing that, and this is what he was quoted as saying to CBS, was, quote, due to alarm fatigue, quote, which he thinks is, quote, significantly dangerous, unquote. Yeah, well, he also said, quote, I think it will be easy to show there was no intent involved, end quote. So he choked this nurse, and unless his intent was to make her look like a puppet, I don't, I can't understand what he thought he was doing by placing his hands around her throat, allegedly, and then choking her. So I would also point out to him that if anybody knows about the alarms on those monitors, it would be the nursing staff versus the anesthesiologist making the rounds. But having said all that, uh, he was told repeatedly by the nursing staff, please stop turning off our monitors that we're using to watch our patients with because it takes a couple minutes to boot those things back up. And after being told multiple times, uh, this doctor decided to take matters into his own hands, literally. So to speak, yeah. He, uh, not that we're making light of it because, you know, we actually did do an episode on workplace violence. And, you know, it's, you know, we talked about the violence coming from patients and we talked about the violence coming from uh, family members. Well, I think we kind of briefly touched on it coming from another employee, but it's not something that you hear about every day, but it's still obviously something that can clearly occur. Yes, and, you know, I harped on it a bunch during the episode, and if anybody heard that episode, I'm sure they'll remember, but, you know, have a plan in place, and did they have a plan, and did they enact it? Those are the types of things I want to know. Truly, you're more likely most likely, I should say, to be attacked by a patient or a patient's family. But clearly, in this case, there was a physician-nurse relationship issue, and he decided that he could physically end the conversation, which is never allowable. I, I don't, I can't, there's never a situation where the physician and or the nurse should feel that attacking the other staff members is the correct way to to deal with the situation. So I don't know what happened there. Maybe we'll get more details as it goes to court. So I would make this guy like, you know, hashtag douchebag of the day. Do we have that? Can we make that for the day? I, I think we can make it for the day. What do you think? Okay. So it's official. <laughs> we have our first douchebag of the day. It's that guy. So, <laughs> so having, having covered all that and uh, we're going to go to the episode, just kind of give everybody a, a small breakdown of what to expect during the episode. Since we're talking about NPs and we're celebrating our work as a profession, we kind of wanted to cover it in three sections. We kind of want to go over the history of nurse practitioners, what we're doing currently as nurse practitioners and what the possible future outcomes for nurse practitioners are. Yeah. I mean, you know, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And so we thought it's important to look at the history of nurse practitioners. You know, where'd we come from? And then, like you say, kind of where we're at now. And then hopefully looking into the crystal ball and seeing where we're going to be at in the future. And I thought we all, I mean, you and I both thought that was a cool episode and it's a cool way to celebrate nurse practitioner week, which we're recording this on a Monday, but it'll be out on a Saturday. So it'll be as the week is wrapping up, but still a cool way to uh, wrap up the end of nurse practitioner week for everybody. And I joke about being a nurse practitioner and some of the things we do, but I am truly uh, humbled by the ability to treat patients and the awesome responsibility that has been, you know, given to me to do this. So thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to all the non-healthcare people that are listening that trust us as a profession. And 
I just want to do right by everybody. I, I think that's what we all want to do. Well, Tom, I think we're almost 18 minutes into bullshit, so do you want to uh, get into the meat and potatoes of the episode? Well, yeah, if you're going to put it like that. <laughs> so let's start at the very beginning. The 1965, put yourself in the Wayback Machine. Go to 1965 to the University of Colorado, and you're going to run into a Loretta Ford and a Dr. Henry Silver who started the first nurse practitioner program in America. You know, and I've actually had the opportunity uh, when I attended A&P's National Conference in Vegas, they actually did an interview with Dr. Ford and Larry King was actually the one who sat down and interviewed her. And so it was very cool to see that interaction and to hear her speak. And actually she was just in Branson this last weekend also at, a, at the uh, APNO conference there. Well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's one thing to be like, oh, wow, you were, you're an original nurse practitioner. It's another thing to be like, oh, you're the one that started it all. Like, that that's pretty awesome to be able to talk to that type of uh, person. Yeah, like the mother of the profession right there. Exactly. It started off originally as a certificate program, so I, I couldn't find anything specific about, like, what the original parameters or uh, entry requirements were, but it started off as a certificate program. And then by the early seventies, it was a mixture of certificate programs and the first master's of science degree for nurse practitioner was actually at Boston college. So that's how far it had traveled. It had already gone from the university of Colorado to Boston college. So these programs were spreading pretty quickly. And what I'd found, it looked like uh, one of the original nurse practitioner organizations that were out there was actually the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, or NAPNAP. 1973 was when that was formed. Yeah, and honestly, uh, most of the stuff I found uh, states that nurse practitioners beginning were primarily pediatric primary care providers. The very first family nurse practitioner program wasn't even started until 1971 at the University of Washington. So, I mean, it's fairly close, but that's still, in the beginning, we weren't even considered for overall care. We were primarily for pediatrics. What I kind of found interesting was, so, you know, in 60, was it 65, you said? Was that when it was? Yeah, 65 when Dr. Ford? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, help create the first kind of nurse practitioner program. Then by 1979, there were approximately 15,000 nurse practitioners in the United States. Yes. And the last statistic I was able to find, actually Ben found, but told me what I wrote down, was in 2018, we were up to 248,000 nurse practitioners nationwide. And I think it's kind of important. One of the cool facts, especially with all the controversy, depending, it doesn't matter which side of healthcare expansion you fall on. But in 65, the original Medicare-Medicaid expansion happened, which is what caused the impetus for us to become a profession. Like, they expanded it. Suddenly, they were like, holy cow, we do not have enough people <laughs> to start taking care of all, all the coverage we have. And that's how nurse practitioners actually kind of got their start. So then it got into, we said 79, there was 50, uh, 15,000 nurse practitioners. Uh, 74, 75-ish is when the American Nurses Association started to work with uh, the Council of Primary Care, or established the Council of Primary Care Nurse Practitioners to help start trying to legitimize us as an overall profession. 1985... Our American Association of Nurse Practitioners was formed. So actually, when, you, when you hear the – go on. It was actually – at that point, it was the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. Oh, the American Academy. It didn't become the American Association until 2013, which when it formed with another organization to create a larger 
organization. Well, I stand corrected. Where the fuck were you on that one, Kyle? But the point is, is so starting in the 80s, we started going, hey, we had to get our shit together. We started forming organizations for professional development, which is one of the things we'll talk about in the present tense. But it's, it's good to know that as a profession, since the beginning, we have been trying to work to get ourselves together. And honestly, we we were working on it, and I'm really glad they got themselves together because it wasn't until 1989 that we were recognized by the federal government as providers of medical care. And in 89 also, you start seeing the onus on the importance of education for nurse practitioners. By 89, 90% of programs were either master's degrees or post-master degree, uh, degree programs. So what, what you're seeing here is the government said, hey, we're going to start covering more people. And we were the ones basically getting tapped to start filling in those gaps. And it started with pediatrics. But then we started recognizing the role that we could play in the family and primary care roles. And so as – the nation grew with healthcare. So did our profession. We started getting our stuff together. We started getting some professional organizations. And that's when we finally went to the government and said, hey, you need to start reimbursing us as providers if you want us to continue to give that care, which they recognized. They started contributing to uh, nurse practitioner education funds, and they started giving us that status. The 90s is when, according to all the information I could find, we blew up between 1995 to 1999. We grew by a third. We went from 40 to 60,000 people or nurse practitioners in four years. And again, the primary reason money, there was a huge fiscal crisis because of healthcare and somebody had to start filling that gap. Guess who stepped up nurse practitioners. And, and to be fair, physicians assistance is in this, but since it's Nurse Practitioner Week, we were trying to focus more on the nurse practitioner-related stats that are going to be going along with this. I know you talked about the 90s, but the other thing I thought that was kind of cool, sliding back into the 80s just a little bit, 89 again was also the very first AANP National Conference that was held in Philadelphia. And I know that you've not had the opportunity to go to a national conference yet, but i got to tell you, they, it's a good time. Lots of very good educational opportunities and some fun opportunities as well. So I know the uh, next one's in Indianapolis, which is pretty close to you. So maybe we can uh, get together and even do a show live from the national conference, Tom. Well, that'd be a really good opportunity to find out what happens if Ben and Tom are drunk and trying to do a nurse practitioner conference with uh, people yelling in the background. So, I'm not opposed to that. And you're right. That is fairly close. I'll have to see if I can make that arrangement happen. But yeah, I think it's always good for us as a profession also for us to get together, not only just because of the educational opportunities, it's good for us to have that interaction with each other outside of just Facebook, to have that face-to-face time where you can meet your, your colleagues from across the country and see what's going on. What are they doing? And an opportunity for us to not just learn specifically from the education standpoint, but from each other to, to have that small interaction. Yeah. The networking, uh, I mean, you just, you got to have it. It's imperative to, to help them to move forward. And, you know, you get that opportunity to figure out, you know, cause as the profession has grown, so have the specialties that nurse practitioners are in now. And so the network opportunity gives you uh, the, you know, the chance to, find out where everybody's at and to get those resources in your playbook 
so that if something happens, you can be like, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, especially for a newer NP like myself, to hear what somebody else who has experienced that already and say, oh, put that knowledge in your back pocket so that when you are able to start seeing it, it's invaluable. And it's even better to to see that on a face-to-face basis and get to know get to know those people or know what your resources are that and that's just as important to go hey i may not know the answer to this but i know where to look for i don't know what you're laughing about i was just gonna say that i like to keep my knowledge in the front pocket because it pick pockets nobody nobody likes you <laughs> so <clears throat> so honestly here here's a statistic or i shouldn't say a statistic but a, a fact that I found interesting and odd, like it kind of weirded me out a bit. We did not have full practice, or we did not have the ability to practice in all 50 states until the year 2000. So we've been around since 1965, but it wasn't until 2000 that all 50 states in the District of Columbia recognized nurse practitioners as medical providers. Well, you know, Tom, that, that shot of whiskey and the Pepto for Sam the Fact Checker apparently is paying off. He just passed me a note here. Apparently, you know, we were incorrect, and so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're we're gonna stand by that. But National Nurse Practitioner Week actually was recognized in a proclamation by U.S. Congress in 2004. But I don't really think there was a whole lot of celebration of the nurse practitioner until kind of A and P got a hold of it in like 2013, 2014. So uh, I would just like to put this out there: I was not wrong. Congress was wrong, so they should have done it in 2013 when I said it. That's not my fault. Uh, Sam disagrees with you. Well, Sam's not the one on the microphone, so I win. So anyways, kind of moving into the present tense of what's going on. So we know the history. Okay, we know where we started. We know some of the facts that led to where we're at now. So now we're talking about 2004, and honestly, Ben, and I'm sure you're going to have your own angle on this, but me personally, the present is... I think we should be focusing, or my opinion, and let me say again that this show is based on our opinions. Um, My opinion is what we should be doing as far as requirements slash education slash what we need to do to bolster our profession is what we should be focusing on now. I don't disagree with you. Earlier, there's currently 248,000 nurse practitioners uh, licensed in the United States. Um, but to kind of go along with what you're saying, between uh, in the, the academic year 2016-2017, uh, we cranked out 26,000 nurse practitioners, new nurse practitioners. And so that kind of leads to like some of the some of the things I have to talk about. In 2004, the American Association of Colleges of Nurses, and I don't even know if I wrote that down right, but that's what I wrote down, so that's what I'm saying. They really started pressuring, and I'm going to use the word pressuring, they really started pressuring programs and start saying, well, you really need to make everything a doctorate of nurse practitioner. And let me be clear. I think education is a great thing. I think it's very professional. I cannot uh, be any prouder than I am of Ben for getting his DNP. And I completely plan on completing my DNP as soon as possible. Okay. Having said that, I think pressuring programs into DNPs instead of focusing on securing our parameters as a professional is a mistake. But Tony Stinn, I think that this is not something necessarily new. I mean, when you and I went through nursing school, albeit in different years, 
at the ADN level program, how many years now, and we're talking, I mean, I would say probably 20 years, have they been talking about they're going to do away with LPNs? You're not going to be able to get your LPN certification. You're not going to be able to get your LPN license. The organizations that be, the powers that be, state we're, not, we're doing away with it and it's going to be gone by such and such date and then it never is. Well, and there's a reason. There's a reason why. And that's because it's horseshit. That's the reason why. They keep putting out these grandiose ideas like, oh, well, everybody, you're not a real nurse unless you have a bachelor's, which is horseshit. All right. We need LPNs. We need ADN nurses. What, what are we doing to make those those things better? And that's my that's my disagreement with the doctorate of nurse practitioner programs. I'm not saying that we should not be getting as much education and training as possible. Never my intent or what I'm trying to say. What are what are we actually improving? Because I'm telling you right now at the nurse level, I would rather have an ADN nurse that has spent multiple years in her field, like we'll say ER. We're both ER nurses, so I would rather have an ER nurse that's got her associates but has spent the last five years focusing on learning how to be an ER nurse and has maybe got her CEN than I would someone that says, well, I'm better because I have a BSN. No, that's not true. And so when you're pressuring us as a profession and saying, oh, the DNPs are better than the masters, why? I, I, you, you're going to have to give me something more other than it's a bigger degree. And I know you and I talked about, you know, it would be kind of cool to do a study on education versus experience. You know, if and and just putting it out there to nursing staff, we're talking just just nursing staff. Not We're not looking at the advanced role. As a nurse, who would you rather work with? Would you rather work with an ADN nurse that has two years of experience in that role? Or would you rather work with a brand new BSN nurse that does not have that two years experience that the ADN nurse would have? And honestly, that's a that's a fair question, and I'm glad you brought all that up. And hopefully, someday we'll actually get to publishing that study. But the thing is, is I, I will tell you right now, me personally, that the best nurses I ever worked with were all ADNs. They had no. Um, you know, gumption to go get their bachelor's for the exact reason I just said. They were like, what is it going to teach me? Like, what is it going to do? You know, and, and honestly, I can tell you, having had both, nothing. It, it, I think there is a role for the BSN. Okay, so again, I'm not dogging BSNs. What I'm trying to say is us as a profession, both undergraduate and graduate level nursing, we are trying to say to nurses, you're not as good if you don't have the bigger degree which is horseshit. I would much rather have that nurse with the experience than the nurse that assumes she is better, and I've run into them, just because they have the letter B by the RN. Uh, it's, it's, I feel we're doing a real disservice to ourselves by saying that the nurses with experience aren't as good as the nurses with education. And again, there's that role. I believe you should have to have a BSN before you go to graduate training. Clearly, I think if you're looking for management level positions, a BSN is really good for rounding you out in some of the topics and stuff that you're going to need in management. Like I learned how to do a cost benefit analysis when I was doing all stuff. When I went into being a supervisor and stuff, not that it came up a lot, but that was something if I went ahead and I said, hey, I think we need to do this when I was a supervisor of ER, I could break it down. And so it was beneficial in that role. Now, go ahead and ask me if when the guy was having a stroke in the bay, if that BSN helped me any, because it fucking didn't. 
<laughs> it was it was experience and the nurse next to me with her experience that saved that patient's life. The cost benefit analysis did not do anything at that point in time. Sure, it impacted the ER overall, but it did not impact that patient's care. And that's my problem with pushing for a DNP versus an MSN. You're going to have to tell me something more than, well, it looks better. I don't care about looks better. I care about effectiveness. Well, and I think that kind of ties into something that I know you and I have talked a lot about. And I think we, at some point, will need to do an episode or a multitude of episodes on the education because you and I both have, have come out and have an opinion stated there needs to be certain criteria prior to getting into nurse practitioner school. As far as, you know, a certain amount of education, you know, like I've stated before, I don't think that you should be able to be 18 and go to four years of college, get your BSN and then start nurse practitioner school without ever working a day on the floor um, and without ever working a day with a patient, period. Exactly. Other than the clinicals. And, you know, the other issue that we run into is, and I think when we do the episode on, on education, we need to call out some of these diploma mill schools who are just, they're looking at it from the financial standpoint of themselves and not the safety issues and are just cranking out as many people as they can. Well, there, there's a lot to be said for that. For one, it's watering us down as a profession. And two, the black eye that we're going to get when nurse practitioners are not receiving quality training, education, clinical experience time, and they don't have that base foundation as a nurse before they become an advanced practice nurse. I I hope somebody out there is recognizing that advanced practice comes before nurse, but it's in both. You know, when you lack that foundation, and these nurses are just coming out from these diploma mill schools, all these websites for advocate for patients, which are doctor-run, they're AMA-backed to try and lessen us as a profession, it only takes one screw-up, right? We have to be right every time. It takes one screw-up for them to go, see, here you go. Nurse practitioners aren't capable. It just takes that one time. And we do have a few cracks in the armor, all right? I mean, it has happened before. Overall, we can show success. Overall, we can show that nurse practitioners have just as good and sometimes better outcomes than physicians in the same position. That's all fine and dandy until you get the one big screw-up. And when they can link that one big screw-up to that one diploma mill, everybody's going to suffer. Well, and that's my problem. And the other thing, again, that leads to that just, but, that, but to me, again, that that's what it's leading back to is our parent organizations looking at that. No, they're looking at trying to tell me that I'm not as good a nurse or a nurse practitioner in this case as the person next to me, because they have DNP and I have MSN. They're not looking at diploma mills. They're not looking at quality of training. They're not looking at reg- regulations on you know requirements and parameters of training and what we're doing. They're looking at well, what makes us look or makes us sound cool. They're the they're becoming the JCOs of education. And if we don't deal with this now as a profession, what we're doing now, and that's why we're talking about this in the present tense. If we don't do this now, we're going to be hurting down the road. And the other thing. I think we need to mention is that these schools should be held responsible for the clinical education experience of the students. Get on any nurse practitioner group on Facebook and you'll see people just begging and pleading for someone to 
take them on as a preceptor so that they can get their clinical hours in. And I do understand that, and I'm not dogging online versus brick and mortar schools, anything along those lines, but much like an education of any type, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And if you're just, you know, these, these people who get on there and post, I'm looking for the quickest and easiest way to get my nurse practitioner are some of the problems that we're going to end up having in the future. You know, this should not be, I mean, you're dealing with people's lives for God's sakes. This is not something that should be quick and easy. No, it should never be quick and easy. And to be fair, I think, again, myself as a newer nurse practitioner, and I think that's fair for anybody. And I've had seasoned physicians come over and be like, hey, this is what's happened. What do you think? Which, first of all, blew my mind. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. But I understand it's good to ask questions. So if you're thinking, oh, I ask a lot of questions, that's bad. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about working together or, or focusing resources or looking stuff up. For God's sakes, that's what you're supposed to be doing. What we're talking about are these people that are looking at this from purely a monetary standpoint. And they are trying to say, well, if I can get done in two years, then that's all I care about. They don't care about the training education or quality that they are going to get from their program. And I go with Ben because I went to an online program. Um, I lived in a rural area when I started. I didn't really have a lot of options. That was the option I chose. I mean, very rural. And <laughs> like there was not a lot of options where I was at. And so I had to make that choice. If I wanted to continue my education and become a professional, that was what I had to do. But I also agree with Ben. You get out of it what you put into it. And I really... If anybody had any questions, I would challenge them to come to me and say, well, Tom, do you think you did enough? Because just what I had to do to get into some of my clinical rotations or what I did to complete them, I think shows dedication. I mean, I won't go to that story now, but it was it was uh, thorough. To, to say and I've had students drive hours and hours to come and do clinicals with me just because I, I take on students. I mean, I enjoy educating. I try to be as thorough during the precepting process as I can, not only covering the, you know, the clinical side of things and getting them in and getting them hands on, but kind of covering the business aspect of things and kind of covering, you know, and, and covering the, you know, your, like we said, so I said on here before about like your name and your brand and things of that nature. And so I try to make it a really well-rounded experience. But honestly, right now, as we sit here, I am probably booked 18 months out with students. Yeah. And honestly, that was part of what I I don't want to say desperation, but drove me into a a rock or a hard place was because when I would talk to people, I had to move in the middle of my education. So I I won't get into again, a lot of specifics, but I had sites set up. I moved, you know, a third of the country in (laughs) a different direction. I had to find some new preceptors. And when I would call, they, they would say, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be able to get you in as a student in about three years. I was like, holy crap. Like, that was just not a feasible situation. And honestly, to, to keep this moving forward, because so, otherwise I'd spend the next three hours bitching about this, but this leads me back into what we were saying originally, the education and then the standards. We, we need to be focusing as a profession on standards because currently – 23 states in the District of Columbia allow full practice authority. 
And I would like to point out, even frickin' Oklahoma has now allowed nurse practitioners to start having full practice authority. And that's all well and good, except for if you have some of these nurse practitioners that are not ready to be out there. And and maybe that's going to make me Mr. Unpopular in the nurse practitioner world. But to be fair, I do not think all of us, or, or let me be blunt, I don't think any of us should start off with full practice authority. I think it needs to be a graduated system. I think you should have so many hours, and I, I think we should do hours instead of years uh, for a number of reasons, but we should have to have so many hours before you can even apply to a nurse practitioner school. We'll say 5,000, just to be nice and rounded. You have to have 5,000 hours as a nurse working at bedside before you can become a ner- go to nurse practitioner school. So there's your first foundation. And then I think once we get our nurse practitioner again, and this is just spitballing at people. So if I do get some hate mail, well, bring it on. I don't care. But I mean, I'm just saying set another number, set 5,000 hours again. And you say, okay, before you can get full practice authority without a supervising physician, you have to work this many hours. I think that's how we start to guarantee. And like Ben said, protect our brand. Get those nurse practitioners that maybe are not on the same footing, some good experience and quality training and time with patients before we move them out into independent practice. And I agree with you on the hours versus like years. I mean, if anything, the Dr. Death podcast with you know, Christopher Dunch showed that you've not listened to that podcast yet. Spoiler alert. You might want to fast forward 30 seconds. But, you know, it came out in, in testimony that he'd only done like 100 surgeries during residency, whereas most neurosurgeons at that point had done thousands. And so yes. you just do uh, a year, say, oh, you need two years of experience before you were el- eligible for full practice authority. Well, I could screw off and work 10 hours a week and not have near the experience that I would need or that I feel that I would need in, in order to do that. Yeah, exactly. That that was that was my whole point about hours versus um, years, and that's also like the same format like the CCRN already uses. Like they require, I think it's eighteen hundred hours. You know, we're already at that point where we recognize hours is a better gauge at this point than years because exactly what you just said. Oh, I've been a nurse for four years part time, once uh once every two weeks, but it's been four years. Is that really the same as a nurse that's working full-time bedside for four years? No, and I don't want people to think that we're dogging anything by any means. So I don't want to leave the, the present on a sour note. So I'm going to throw some more statistics out there that are more more positive. <laughs> uh, 97.8% uh, of nurse practitioners have graduate degrees. Um, 49% hold hospital privileges. In 2017, the mean full-time base salary for nurse practitioners, 105000 And the majority of nurse practitioners see three or more patients per hour. And the last one I'm going to leave on, and I'll turn it back over to you, Tom. Malpractice rates remain low for nurse practitioners. Only 1.9% of nurse practitioners have been named as a primary defendant in a malpractice case. Well, those are all positive. It make me feel a little better. I think I can be that third person. You said 1.9, right? So I could be number three. I, I could I could lead that charge. I, I just, like you said, though, and I, 
and then I'm going to move forward. We're going to start talking about the future, though. I think you can kind of tie the present and the future together, but you know, like you said, Dr. Death, the, one of the surgeons that they talked to said any other surgeon at that point should have had 2,500 procedures of that specific procedure that, that they're talking about in that court case. And he had done less than a hundred. And so I don't want there to be a nurse practitioner, Dr. Death, because if there is, I, I, that's what I'm trying to emphasize is the ripple. It doesn't matter if it's you or I bet what it just matters that it's a nurse practitioner, because if it is me and you are going to get the effect, everybody listening to this is going to feel that effect. So that's why it's such an important uh, topic to me, but I think we've exhausted that. So let's just go ahead and talk about the future, which is looking pretty bright for nurse practitioners. That's right. What the song, you know, the future's so bright, you got to wear shades. Yeah, that's honestly what I was going to say. God damn, we are nerds because that's exactly yeah, what are, I was going to say. Great. So, so hey, uh, no, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, after you. No, sir, please. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you. So the United Health Group uh, did a study that I'm going to be referencing for some of the statistics I found. Uh, one of the sad parts for America, but one of the bright parts for advanced practitioners, is that currently 13% of the United States has a primary care patient shortage. And what they're defining is is one less than one primary care provider per 2,000 patients. That's 13% of the entire United States that does not have access to primary care. So... Again, we, we've shown a nurse practitioners or nurse practitioning uh, has shown a history of filling in those gaps. So 13% doesn't sound like a lot until you realize, you know, there's over 300 million Americans. So there's some that's room. A lot of people. I mean, I'm not that's a math a- major. You pointed that out in episode one, but that's a lot of people. Well, that's a lot of uh, zithromycin, apparently, <laughs> as we were talking about earlier. Um so, and another thing we need to talk about the future, uh, and, and I'm going to go ahead and throw out, this is my theory, and this is one of the reasons I was so happy to get into nurse practitioners, is I believe our future is bright. I think we are the future of primary care, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, I don't want anybody listening to this talk to their doctor, or if they're, and I know there's at least a couple physicians that listen to us. I don't want this to seem like any sort of primary uh, physician or family practice uh, bashing. It's not. I just believe in the future our offices are going to be one physician for every five advanced practitioners versus the ratio we're seeing now is usually it's five doctors and one nurse practitioner. I think – and I mean very quickly. I think in the next 15 to 20 years you're going to see that inverse – you're going to see a lot more uh, advanced practitioners. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I do want to say, you, know, you said that we, uh, you feel like the nurse practitioners are going to be the future of primary care. But who is the future of rock and roll, Tom? <laughs> um, God, isn't it 97X? <laughs> it's a, a little echolalia for anybody that remembers that episode. 97X. Bam. So, uh, God damn it, you got me completely off track. So, okay, th- yeah, thanks, Rain Man. So, uh, so, some more things to talk about. By 2025, which is not that far away, uh, seven years there, math major, by 2025, one third of family medicine providers 
in the United States will be 65 years or older and looking at retirement. That's in seven years. Uh, family practice uh, doctors continue to decrease. And by 2030, the United Health Group estimates there will only be 300,000 family practice physicians in the nation. And there's a combination of factors, like I said, the age, a large wave of retirements coming up. But also, um, and I don't have all the statistics, and I didn't really dive into it because it's, it's medical school uh, statistics. But basically, doctors are not picking general practice or family medicine. Yeah, and that's kind of what you know we've heard for years is that they're going into specialties because it's more lucrative, especially if they're coming out of medical school with, you know, a quarter of a million dollars worth of student loan debt. You know, why would you want to go make less than that for in primary care? Which I guess maybe that certainly makes sense. You know, some of the statistics you were talking about, I'd actually pulled up some stuff from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, job Outlook 2016 through 2026 are looking at, they're estimating a 31% growth which is much faster than average for uh, any job. And they're estimating adding an additional 64,000 nurse practitioners between now and 2026. I'm not saying it's true, but I bet that parties at the Bureau of Labor and Statistics are just fucking crazy. Like, those nerds probably let loose, like, an atomic explosion. I just imagine like suspenders and proc- pocket protectors just flying through the air when those guys hit cakes. I would bet probably them or I bet people in mental health probably have some crazy ass parties too. I, You know, I bet they do. But at the same time, again, like I just imagine mental health guys like all disheveled and they're just like, you know, what, I just want to sleep and then. You know, what happened at that party? Not Bureau of Labor Statistics. They're like, nah, there's a 97% chance that I'm going to get laid if I get drunk enough. And that's what they're doing. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I don't have any facts on that. I'm just saying. It just seems like something that's true about the Bureau of Labor Statistics. <laughs> but back to where we were. No, and, and honestly, it, it kind of makes sense. If you're a physician, and by the way, 78% of nurse practitioners are in primary care, 78% of us, and we're going to possibly by 2030 be either one-to-one or slightly larger than family practice physicians, they're going to get more time and training. To be completely fair, I think they should be moving into specialties. If I'm going to be a physician, I'm like, well, I could work you know, do the same thing that nurse practitioners are filling this gap, or I could become an orthopedic surgeon. They're spending that extra time and effort and money and training. They should reap that benefit. I, I, I got nothing against them for moving forward with that. No. And I think, you know, I personally think the primary care is kind of like the, the quarterback of the team. Like, and I don't mean that like, you know, we're the, the heroes or anything like that. We're more the coordinator of, the services that are needed for this patient. You know, there's lots of times that I see patients in the clinic and I get them set up for whatever they need. And they're like, thank you. You did so much. And I'm like, I I, I mean, I did, I helped you out, but I basically just got you into the specialist that needed to see you. And we got the, you know, we're, we're working it up like we need to, but you know, we're, we're kind of the, the one who's kind of directing where some of that needs to go. And when somebody I've had, plenty of patients just go, well, why can't you just do this? And I, I've tried to explain to them the role uh, primary care says, and I honestly just say, I'm, I'm basically a big filter. 
I'm here to let things through that I can treat right now. It's not a big deal. But when I catch that thing that's beyond my scope, it's my job to get you to the appropriate resource. So that's that's how I try and explain to them. And I, it, so far, it's, it seemed to work pretty well. Most people seem to understand that. And that goes back to, you know, you know what you know, but more importantly, you know what you don't know. And that can only be with a firm foundation of experience and education. Yeah, and and finally, one of the last things I want to say is that study by the United Health Group. The last, well, the last thing that I saw, it may not be. I didn't read the entire study. Like Jesus Christ, it's like those bookworms at Bureau of Labor Statistics go read that. I'm not reading that. You bunch of nerds. What I'm trying to say though is the last thing I saw was they're recommending that all states release nurse practitioners to full practice. And again, I support us as a profession moving to full practice with the appropriate training, education, and qualifications. I I have no problem with us moving in that direction. I just think it may be premature for a person that has never touched a patient as a nurse calling themselves an advanced practice nurse and then treating patients under that guise. Like, it just seems something that I think we should possibly – you know, crawl and walk before we try and run. I don't disagree with you, Tom, but I will say, and you know, just, I kind of want to put a little bow on this episode. Honestly, I could not have made a better decision for myself to go to nurse practitioner school and to become a nurse practitioner. I truly, truly love what I do. I love, you know, and honestly, I didn't think that I would like family practice. Like I was an ER person, you know that. And hell, I still work ER, but Family practice is pretty cool. Like, I enjoy getting to watch the kids grow up. I've gotten invited to birthday parties and to graduation parties and to uh, adoption parties for, like, foster parents. And, hell, I've been invited to divorce parties. Um, <laughs> you know, but, they like, they feel like you're part of the family because you care and you're compassionate. And we do a hell of a job as nurse practitioners. We need to remember that, like, Tom and I aren't bashing what we do by any means. I, I love my job. I think Tom loves his job most days. Um, <laughs> but there's something so incredibly humbling for someone to – before I even got out of school, there was a girl that we worked with, and it's a mutual friend, Tom, that when she was pregnant, she said, after I have the baby, I want you to take care of the baby. Like, I want you to be the baby's primary provider. And there's something so humbling to think that – this person is handing me their child and saying, please make my child better or please take care of my child. That is so awesome. And I, I think it's amazing. I think we do great work. We need to continue to do great work. We looked at the past. We talked about the present. We looked at the future. We just need to We just need to keep doing what we do. And that's caring about patients and taking care of them. No, I, I, I could not have said it better, Ben. Um, I actually recently just had that first experience. One of the ER nurses that uh, I worked with was like, hey, I want to start bringing my kids for you to see. Or when when I'm able to, or when you're able to, I want my kids to go to you. And to, to exactly what you said, to think about it and go, wow, this person's most precious thing in their life, their children – they're putting in my hands. And I and I guess that's why I've always been the type of person I'm going to be harder on me than you could ever be on me just because I want to be the best. And and if somebody else doesn't have that mindset, well, sucks to be you. I don't know what else to say. But 
that's that's why I was harping on this. It, it has nothing to do with I love my job. I love that I'm a nurse practitioner most days. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still miss law enforcement. I'm not going to lie. There's days I just, oh. But, you know, I am so glad I did this. I'm so glad Ben, a friend of mine, you know, for a long time, kept pushing me. When I became a nurse, he's like, dude, when you're ready, you, you need to you need to you need to consider this. And I'm so glad that he pushed me in that direction. I just think I've worked too hard. Ben has worked too hard, and the people listening to this have worked too hard for us to not continue to make ourselves better. The minute we sit back and go, "We're good enough," is when we're going to start. You're either getting better or you're getting worse, and. I have no intentions of letting us fail as a profession. And I, I guess that's why I am so tough on us. But again, it's nurse practitioners week. We can, we can have this discussion sometime soon, I hope, but I love all of you. I could not be happier with this job. And I think we um, have the most righteous mission. We are the people out, you know, helping people, every day and when they think or they're sick other than the times they go to the emergency room when they're like sick they're like man i gotta get to my doctor and they're thinking of you and i think that's a pretty awesome feeling so did someone say social media shout out (laughs) i think you just did (laughs) you know social media you can find us on facebook instagram twitter all at just some podcast websites www.justsomepodcast.com you could email us admin at justsomepodcast.com. That was a little And don't forget. No, nah, that's fine. You're allowed to have that hiccup. Well, it wasn't so much that. It's like, you know, I just, it, it's that humbled feeling of, I think we do amazing, amazing shit every day. And I love, I, I love what I do. And so if you're a nurse practitioner, thank you for what you do. If you're a nurse practitioner student, Thank you for for continuing education and working on that. If you're thinking about going to nurse practitioner school, thank you. And if you're a patient of a nurse practitioner, thank you for trusting us. Honestly, uh, let's just end the show. (laughs) Can't say it better. Well, if we're going to end the show there, then, Tom, I hope you have a great week, bud. Yeah, can't wait till next week. See you then.